Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 921 with Chef Matt Lewis. Restaurants are such hands-on businesses, and no matter how big you get, no matter how much you have going on, there's still businesses and operations that you've got to be in it. You've got to be doing it. Are you ready for It Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get your $100 off for your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest. He is the chef owner of Moxie's, the Franklin Oyster House Street, and Luigi's West End Pizza, all in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He's a repeat guest on the show. Originally, episode nine, almost nine years ago, Chef Matt Lewis. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? 
Good. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show, dude. I'm, I'm super excited for this. Portsmouth is my home. It's where I started this podcast. I had some incredible chef owners on the show when I was just getting started. And I realized recently, like, I need to get these guys back on the show. It's been almost 10 years. So much, so much has evolved in your stories from then. And also, the show has changed so much. So, we're bringing it back home. We're, we're, we're starting where we, we're picking up where we started the podcast and we're going to run you through the new format. And I, I cannot be more excited, dude. You're going to crush it. But let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Um, one that I really try to, try to strive for is don't, don't ask anybody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Yes, man. Why does that come to your mind? Why is that where you want to start today's conversation? Well, restaurants are such hands-on businesses. And no matter how big you get, no matter how much you have going on, there's still businesses and operations that you've got to be in it. You've got to be doing it. And in a restaurant, as as a cook, as a chef, that means sweeping the floor, taking out the trash, mopping the floor, doing dishes. I've always thought that these aren't extras you have to do when someone isn't doing their job or doesn't show up. These these are the job. Mm. This is the day-to-day. Our day isn't shaking hands, signing cookbooks, wearing fancy chef coats. Our day is sweeping the floor, chopping the onions, doing the dishes, and it's really important not to lose sight of that. Um, you know, obviously the more you get going on, you, you, you have to delegate. You've got to be able to have other people doing things, but you can never get to a point where you decide, okay, I'm not going to do that task Mm. anymore. If that decision's made, then you might as well get ready to go buy a, for yeah. sale sign. This little mantra keeps repeating in my head listening to you talk, and that's just be the standard. Be the expectation. Live the expectation. You can't expect people to live your expectation unless you're living it yourself, right? So you have to be that. Uh, is that is that core to what you were trying to yeah. communicate really well? Yeah, I think, you know, very similar, maybe yeah. just different wording. Yeah. Um, and it's it's it, it can be hard at times to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it shouldn't be because we should be living our passion and we should be doing what we want to do, what we set out to do. We should be doing our dream, but it, it is hard at times to, to maintain that, to keep that level up. But it is, it's important because restaurants can be a very, very hard place to work as well. And if we're not participating in that manner, it can be really easy for, the other people to lose sight of why, why am I doing this? And by doing that, you're also helping to continue to remind them of, of the reasons why ideally they're choosing to work yeah. with you instead of someone else. I'm tempted to move forward in the conversation, but I feel like I can pull back another layer here and go deeper now. So I'm going to do that. Are uh, we in therapy right now? It feels that way sometimes. <laughs> I've been told it's very therapeutic, but when you find this moment, where you are at the end of your rope and you're like, why am I here? When you're, let's be honest, there's discouraging times in the restaurant industry where you just, where you had enough, right? People, we've all been there where we're just at the end. What's the narrative you tell yourself when you get to that point to, to 
to reconnect with the why. Like, how, how does that narrative work and how do you pivot in that moment to get away from that negative place? You know, I don't know. For me, it seems very simple. Um, I guess I just break it down to, well, I can either quit or get in there and keep working and, and, and work through whatever's happening. Because the alternative to that is to just throw your hands up. And that I've yet to reach a spot where I'm fully ready to do that, yeah. um, where it's just, okay, I'm, I'm done. And if, if that's not where you're at, then the only alternative is to get to work. Yeah. And honestly, it's, it's that easy and that hard. Just, just show up, just keep showing up. I think a lot of people always wish or think it could be easier or they're jealous of people who have work from home or can take month long vacations or whatever. Um, it's like the Buddha, the Buddhist mindset of like, it's just the obstacle is the way like, just do it. Like just it, it's, this is the world and just accepting it and just leaning into it instead of fighting it t- tends to be the path out. The, the thing that you're so upset about tends to be the way out. Just it's really the only way yeah. in, in any, in, in any facet of life. The only, the only way out is through. Yes. And you've got to just go at whatever it is head on and in the reference we're talking about that is work and the realm of work is get to work do a good job try to motivate people try to do the best you can try to have the businesses do the best you can and everything that comes with it but you've got to just you got to keep sometimes you just have to keep going awesome Great way to get this thing started, man. Um, so reflecting at your story, we had you on the show. If you guys want to check out Matt's first episode, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash nine or just search restaurantstoppable.com slash Matt Lewis and that will pop up if you want to listen before we really dive in. But you were born in a way in this industry. Your dad was a part of this industry. This, is, this industry has been close to you for a long time. You went to school for culinary, CIA, right? But at what point were you like, this is what I want to do? When did you know this was your path? Well, I think I knew early on, but I think the reasons may have changed. Um, Very early on when I was a teenager, I was working in the kitchen where my dad was the manager of a hotel. And I really enjoyed the atmosphere of the kitchen. I liked... I liked the pressure. I liked mm. the rush. I liked the, the team environment. I liked the aggressiveness. I liked all those things that go with a kitchen. But at that point, I really, I, I didn't know much about food. Um, I wasn't necessarily as motivated by food as I was the atmosphere of being in a kitchen. And that, that's really kind of what hooked me early on through the process of, of going to culinary school um, and then some, some well-respected restaurants thereafter, that, that initial passion of loving the, the kitchen atmosphere in life really did morph into include and then perhaps even shifted more so to being motivated and passionate about food, ingredients, cooking, um, and not so much the kitchen life, but that, that 
you know, it, it, it happened at an early age where, like you said, I, I kind of was born into this without realizing it on purpose, but it, it's the only thing I've ever done. And I think many times, like what, what else would I do? And I've yet to be able to answer that question because I've just been in restaurants yeah, my whole yeah. life. And I mean, doing almost a thousand interviews now, I, I've come to realize and believe that, you know, nurture plays a big role in the evolution of people and as they grow and the people who influenced you, right? The, we are a byproduct of all the people who have influence, influence us, our parents, our mentors, we, we carry their values, their, their culture, were, were there any people early on in your career that you think really helped mold who you are today? Uh, the values, work ethic, beliefs, things like this that come to mind. There definitely was. Um, the, the chef of that hotel where I was working at as a teenager, uh, his name was Hawkan Ning. He was from uh, Malaysia. What um, was this hotel? It was, import- it was, an it was in right? It was in Hampton, Hampton. the, the Ashworth by the oh, sea. The, ho- the hotel's still there. You know, yeah. lots of changes from 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 every facet yeah. of the hotel now but this was this was the mid 90s um and Hawkan Ning was the uh chef there and he was a, a a huge driving force even though he didn't want to be in motivating me mentoring me inspiring me um how his, did he motivate you how did he mentor you his his work ethic was unmatched mm. probably still to this day um Maybe I've seen and come across some people that work as hard as him, but I don't think I've met anyone that has worked harder than him. Um, He had the highest level of integrity, morals, work ethic, um, just relentless moral um, bar that was really he kind of gave this bar for everyone else to try to achieve, try to live up to. He wasn't trying to, it was just his personality. It was just who he was and the way he carried himself. And, um, it really left a mark seeing his work ethic. He was in there nonstop every day, all day and quiet, humble. He was, he was the quiet, most humble guy in there. Um, but he ran a really, really tight ship and, and his, his, his actions spoke. Yeah, it yeah. was it was all actions, and um, he definitely was a massive driving force early in giving me a, a role model to look at. Um, and I would say that that was directly um, then piggybacked by by Thomas Keller, um, who I worked for after I graduated from school, and I was fortunate enough at that time he was still in the kitchen every single day. I I got to see him working, um, not only as a chef, but as a, as a cook every single day. And by that point he had received an extremely high level of recognition by that point. When did he really start getting that, that recognition? When did that start to take off for him? It it was the late nineties, probably like about 98. Um, and when were you there? And I started working for him in 2002. So, um, you know, there was, there was, the French Laundry was already at, I, I like to think that the, the time frame that I worked there was like the, the golden years, the pinnacle, because the two years that I worked there, um, it was named number one restaurant in the world, those two years. And it was the, 
two years leading into the opening of Per Se. So it was kind of, it was really a moment in time. It was almost the end of the first era, if you will, before Per Se opened. And Mm -hmm. it was a very special time. But back to what what you were saying, his work ethic was the same. His integrity was the same his leadership was was absolutely remarkable and and this was a guy that was on top of the world he could have i mean he could have got away with doing whatever he wanted to at that time in any way he wanted to and talking to anybody the way he wanted to and anybody would have listened at that point in time in today's world maybe not so much but 20 years ago it was a different world and he could have but he he never raised his voice he was very very mature in the way that he communicated um and his his level of commitment and integrity were 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 at that highest level as well that was extremely difficult to for at least for me but i imagine for anyone to picture themselves on that level i want to pull back layers on thomas keller but is is it I know you went to the CIA. Is there anything that stands out there? We kind of jumped over that experience. Uh, or is it... Well, not- the CIA is really where I first got introduced to food and cooking. Yeah. Um, but you were working in restaurants before I, I, I was. I was working in restaurants, but it was more... For, for me and my um, experience and, and line of vision up to that point was more about banging it out in the kitchen and the kitchen life and knocking out a huge busy service and ripping through tickets and covers and you know all that um the cia is where i actually started learning about food you know i think until the cia i thought that mushrooms came in a can i didn't realize (laughs) that they actually grew yeah the first time that i saw like an artichoke not in a can with marinade you know i it blew my mind because I had only ever known artichokes or mushrooms or things like that to be out of a can. And the first, I remember the first time I, I actually tasted a mushroom, a fresh mushroom cooked properly. It was like a whole new experience yeah. for me. Um, and so that the CIA really kind of bridged that gap of, of food ingredients cooking technique and, and kind of really got me thinking more holistically yeah like, and, this and is, wow there's a whole world i don't know about yeah. that isn't just about all right let's roll up our sleeves put our tongs in our back pocket and let's just rock out these 500 covers tonight now it started becoming more about the product and the why and and the, what we were doing not just how hardcore we could do it what was the why for you then is it your same why now I think it changes over time for everyone um, a lot. I know initially, and the the reason that I went to the French Laundry was because the why was I just wanted, I I, I went to French Laundry maybe for different, I don't know. I don't know what any of those reasons are. Well, this is before, I feel like at a point, and I kind of want to get your take on this too, um, at a point, it it just got super sexy to go to the French Laundry. It it, it did. And uh, I, I've lost count of the amount of people I've interviewed who came through the school of Thomas Keller. Yeah. It, there's so many people out there. And that's kind of the world we live in now where people are going to get this experience because they know that they need to tie their personal brand to success. Right. And and 
all of that had nothing to do why I went there. Yeah. At so all. What was your why? Why so did you want to go there? Why I wanted to go there was when I was at CIA, um, we had a trip out to Napa um, as part of the program. We'd go out to Napa for a month. Um, and we were going out to Napa because the school's in New York. So we were going out to Napa. I wanted to eat at French Laundry because mm-hmm. it was this mystical place that didn't even really exist in my mind at that point. They opened in 98, right? You said? Uh, 94 they 94. opened. 94. 98's when they started to get kind of na- that accolade. Yeah. And what, when did they first come on your radar? When was it, like, what was the significance for you? I, I, the first time it came on my radar was the very first class at CIA. The class was called gastronomy, but it was kind of like this background to your program? cuisine. I went for four. Four years, okay. Um, and we had this whole... Uh, chapter section if you will on the french laundry and it was really like this like legend it was more like paul bunyan than like an actual place and so we were going out to um california to napa valley for a month i wanted to eat at french laundry of course why not yeah it was impossible to get in absolutely impossible i knew that um Randomly, the teacher who had taught that gastronomy class, Stephen Colpan, I knew that he was probably the closest connection that I knew to Thomas Keller, even though I didn't even know how close his connection was, but he had referenced, like, I don't know, they talked or did something together. So I asked Stephen Colpan, um, who was the professor, he was a wine professor and the professor of gastronomy, phenomenal mind. Um, I asked him, I said, can you get me a reservation of French Laundry? <laughs> and he said... I can do that under one condition. I said, yeah, sure, whatever, anything. And he said, I'll get your reservation, but I'm going to write you a letter of recommendation, and you're going to drop that and your resume off. I was like, well, that's a pretty easy deal. It wasn't even on my radar to work there at the time. But I was like, well, I, I can do that. Like, what, what harm's in that? Like, nobody's ever going to see it. Yeah. So he held up his end of the bargain. I held up mine. I ate there, and... When I went to dinner, I brought the recommendation letter that he wrote, which was ridiculous, um, and my resume, and I dropped it off and thought, okay, that's the end of that. Um, the next week, whatever, um, Thomas Keller actually reached out to me nice. personally. It wasn't a sous chef, a kitchen manager, HR. At this point, there, at this time, there was no HR. Yeah. HR didn't even he exist. Was, yeah. He was it. Yeah. Um, he reached out to me directly, and I was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. And he asked me if I could come and do a tryout, and I was like, all right, I, I better follow through with this. Um, so I said yes. So I set it back up. This, I was back in New York by this point. I set it back up to fly back out to Napa to do a tryout at French Laundry. So I went to do the tryout, and um, it was absolutely the – hardest most miserable most defeating day moment of my life of (laughs) of anything still to this day i would say what made it so challenging for you um so imagine it was it was extremely difficult um not because they ran me through a bunch of hard tests it was extremely difficult because i was out of my league (laughs) (laughs) 
So you're what the, 22, 20, yeah, probably 21, yeah. 22. Yeah. Um, I'd say at that point, the average age in the kitchen was late twenties. Yeah. It was kind of like at that point in time, it was like the finishing school for cooks. Like everybody in that kitchen had worked at Elaine Ducasse or Danielle or for, uh, Marcus Samuelson, or it's like they, everyone worked at all these great restaurants around the world. And at that point in time, then they went to French laundry. Yeah. It was the finishing school. Yeah. And I, to get through the day, I actually just had to keep telling myself, like, just get through the day. Doesn't matter. You're never going to see these people again. Just get, cause I, I just wanted to leave. I wanted to leave. I wanted to just, you know what? I'm out of here. I just I kept telling myself just just get through the day. You yeah. never have to see these people again. Kind of interesting where we're, we're right where we are right now is where the conversation kind of started of just just getting through it. And just, that's, just to off, go through the obstacle. That was my only thought, um, and so I did. I got through the day. I actually had a buddy out there that I that I crashed with when I went out to do this, and I remember going back to his place. And he's like, how, you know, how was it? And I was like, I, I couldn't, I was like, I just, I can't, man. Like, I can't. <laughs> anyway, um, the next day, got on a plane to fly back. I, I remember I got on the plane. I passed out almost immediately. I was just completely fried. I just don't even know what happened. And I remember waking up on the plane and realizing that all the reasons that it was that hard and that difficult and that frustrating were the exact reasons I needed to work there. Mm. Because if I was going to attempt to be anything of a cook, I needed to at least try to be as good as these guys. Mm. And what I saw in that kitchen was an entire team that was levels ahead of me in terms of skill, technique. That's why I wanted to work there. I could have cared less at that point, at that point, at that moment, I could have cared less about any accolades, about any recognitions, about anything. The only thought in my brain is I need to surround myself with the best possible people that I can if I want to have a fighting chance to be the best I can. And I just saw it. And I don't think there's any other place in the world at that point in time where I would see what I saw there. And it's when, when I woke up and had enough clarity to process that thought, that's when I knew I have to work there because mm. I have to try to bridge that gap. I don't know if I can bridge the gap, but I need to at least try to bridge that gap. And then I just started bothering him relentlessly. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, let's get into that. But, but first, I want to kind of get into the mindset of your professor. And I'm curious because you said that he would get you the reservation, but only if you dropped off your resume. Your resume, and you brought. What was what, what, what was the strategy? What do you think? He he knew. Yourself? He knew. He knew before I knew. He saw before I saw that I was tuned in to the atmosphere, the philosophy, the drive, the commitment that it would take. Um, I didn't know it, but he could see it in me that I was supposed to go there. Because he doesn't, I, I, frankly, I don't know if he ever did that for anyone else. Um, but he he knew. Yeah. Um, I think in my mind, too, he knows. He's like, I can't just like ask for a reservation unless there's something in it for Thomas Keller, i.e. the the lead to a potential new. I don't not think. That, that, not that people 
that was hard for Thomas Keller. But at the same time, I think he also knew that you needed to go there. That was too good yeah. of an opportunity for you to go there and not drop off your resume. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't believe the fit was right. There had to be a why. Um, like, what's the why? Like, you know, and, but, but yeah. he knew. I mean, I just thought that that in the story, like this, what would have happened if he did not do that? Right. What if he was like, yeah, sure, I'll get you a reservation. And all you did, if the story ended with, I ate at Thomas Keller's. It would have ended because yeah. I I had no, working there was not on my radar. When I ate there, it was not on my radar. It wasn't until, I mean, frankly, it wasn't until I woke up on that plane and realized, okay, now I know I need to work there. It wasn't until then. And it, it, it wouldn't have happened if he didn't write that letter and, I think that that's part of the the genius of Stephen Colpan or someone like him is having that, you know, in a way like Michael Jordan bringing Dennis Rodman to the Bulls. Mm. He knew against all odds that the Bulls needed Dennis Rodman. Mm. That That's a genius forethought for Michael Jordan to have this abstract person and know that we got to do that. Not that I was like an abstract person like Dennis Rodman, but it's the same ability to see that match, see that this will be mutually beneficial and be able to recognize that before it happens. That's a, that's an innate skill and talent that makes someone like Michael Jordan or Stephen Colpin or Thomas Keller, because he was also incredible at selecting the right, talent as well and that that really makes those type of people a, a, a whole nother level of of leadership when you can know that you're recruiting the right people before it happens yeah man i'm loving this conversation just for the record and uh now i mean before just to kind of zoom up the thirty thousand feet out of the cia your first job is at the french laundry we kind of established that he offers you the job you're with him for two years at the French Laundry, you go to Per Se. How long were you at Per Se? Year and a half. Year and a half. And then you went to Clio from there. I was at Clio before. Oh, okay. Before Per Se. I was working there in the summers while I was at CIA. Got it, got it, got it. Any reason to hover over that experience? Um, not really. You know, other than it, w- it was fantastic. Um, I was young. I didn't really know what. I was doing or what was going on. I just knew that like I'm in a good place with good people. Um, I actually told him, I, re- I remember telling him that Who's him? Uh, Ken Oranger, I, I told him that he was the chef at Cleo at the time. He didn't have any other restaurants. Um, he didn't even have a sous chef at Cleo. It was him and three other guys just banging. You know, this was like 98, 99. Um, it was old school. He was behind the line mm-hmm. every night. Like he was, he was in there 16 hour days, hardcore. Um, but he's, I, rem- he's somebody I, on my radar that I have not been able to connect with. I, I would, he's got a lot going on these days. Um, but I remember telling him that if the, if, if French laundry didn't work out, then I want to, I want to stay here and make yeah. this a full time, you know, and, and stay. Um, because it was, it was a phenomenal experience, but I was, I was too on the outside to get it um, because I wasn't there like a lot. I wasn't there regularly. It started with like 
a free stage and then just kept going back when I had time. And like, it kind of worked into this thing where he was like, yeah, come, you know, you're welcome anytime. Um, it was such a small crew. It almost like gave them relief at the time. Like, Oh good. There's another pair of hands. Like, cause it was only, it was four of them just banging. Wow. Um, and, and I wasn't immersed enough, like to, to get it. I was just trying to survive. <laughs> I gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, I want to spend a little time because, I mean, obviously you grew as professional at the French Laundry. Uh, I'm assuming a, a lot of your growth was on the culinary front of just head down and fine tuning your skill and learning about the, the world of food to the, the French Laundry level, right? But what about business? What did you learn about business being so close, working so close to a restaurant great like Thomas Keller? How did that influence you from a business perspective? <laughs> I, I didn't learn a lot about business there. Okay. Um, you know, jumping ahead and we can always go back. I, I, you know, down the road, I ended up being at the Wentworth hotel and I've always said that if it wasn't for that job, I never would have stood a fighting chance opening my own business because that is where I learned about business before that at French laundry for, for me in my role, in my position with him, I was head down all about food on my station. I was not, you know, now, now through hindsight, I can look at leadership things and, and things like that. But in terms of business, like especially like numbers or P and L's or income statements or anything like absolutely not. Um, but you did do one thing that I think was really important. We should bring back to the surface. As you said, you asked him a lot of questions. Thomas Keller, Thomas Keller. Yeah. Well, I, what I said was I, I, bothered him okay. relentlessly. I assume I think that meant a question asking. <laughs> there was only one question that kept getting asked over and over and over, and that was, can I get a job? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bothered him in that manner. Okay. Of, once it clicked that I knew I, I needed to work there, I, I was laser focused. Like Blinders went up around everything around me. The only, the only reality I had was I need to work there. And I, I'm pretty convinced that the only reason I got a job there was because I bothered him so much. Mm. He just needed to shut me up because my job offer was an email that he finally sent me that said, if you make it to California, we'll figure something out. That was my job offer. Awesome. And that was enough. <laughs> you also talked a lot about the, just the, the, the quiet leadership that he had, uh, just head down. Um, how do you lead today? Like what, what, what are, who are you as a leader today? because of that experience and then we can move on my my role which then also um influences i guess my leadership style now has changed so much over the years and is so drastically different um i guess everything's influenced by everything you've seen but now i really just i don't i don't think about right now i don't think about what i've seen in the past right now i just think about what i need to do for the reality that I have now. A lot of my leadership style now is a lot more hands-off. It almost goes against everything we've been talking about. It's a lot more hands-off. It's a lot more pulling back. It's a lot more getting out of the driver's seat. And that was a conscious decision at first when I started doing that because I, I... when I opened Moxie, um, Moxie was very directly 
synonymously the the identity of moxie was me and my identity was moxie they went hand in hand there was at that moment in time let's say for the first four or five years there was no moxie without my name there was no my name without moxie and that's like that's a wonderful thing for a while but it's actually a kiss of death yeah for business perspective for business perspective for for personal health perspective for growth perspective of anything and it became a very 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 difficult thing where i i got to the point where i realized if if i'm gonna move ahead if moxie's gonna move ahead if if everyone in the organization's gonna move ahead if there's going to be other restaurants and they're going to move ahead. I have to break this tie <laughs> that I'm married to of my name and Moxie. Yes. And then it, it was easier with restaurants that came after that with Franklin street and Luigi's. But I, when that conscious decision happened, I really kind of stuck to that with everything moving forward that I need the identity of the places to stand on their own and also bring other people forward that don't include me. Yeah. Bringing me forward does nothing now. It was very powerful in the beginning in the first, again, four to five years, whatever it was, it was extremely powerful and probably important to the initial success of a restaurant like Moxie, which was opened as a, it was a chef driven restaurant. It was, it was, driven by the identity of the chef, which was me. And it was important, but very quickly after that four or five year period, it was like, this isn't going to serve us well anymore. Moving forward. This now has a shelf life. And if we don't try to, to, to pivot from that, try to create something else from that, try to move it forward without me attached every step along the way it's 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 done um and and i really one that i did look to for inspiration with that was um randomly ken oranger because he made a genius move but and at the time i don't think it's ever been done before anywhere what he did when he partnered with Jamie Bissonnette at Toro. Um, you know, you've got Ken Oranger, this, this, this massive name, arguably the best chef in the Northeast, you know, just a beast. And partnering with arguably the best chef in the Northeast. Not, not only partnering, <laughs> yeah. but pushing his name to the forefront. Mm. And Ken Oranger taking his name and pulling his own name way back. How many years separation do they have because ken's been around a little bit longer jamie's more he's yeah they've there's pretty decent separation when jamie had been around boston before that he was cooking obviously well but he was not a household name Mm. no one knew who he was um no 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 one outside the centric boston community of course everyone in boston knew who he was but he was not this household name at that point in time and it was nice because i was a i was an outsider seeing this happen and i'm like 
what in God's name is he doing? This is crazy. He like, worked who, so hard to get to this point where he has this notoriety. Yeah. This and that. Like, now he's getting out of the way. And yeah. I think that that ended up being the move that allowed Ken to then just grow exponentially. And it allowed Jamie to grow exponentially. It allowed the restaurants to grow exponentially. It allowed guys like Tony Messina to grow exponentially because Ken went to the back seat, pushed Jamie to the front seat. I've never seen that before. I don't, I really don't think it's ever been done. There's what been was chefs. he doing in that moment? What was the strategy there? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't part of it. I think that, I think that that shows the genius of Ken Oranger knowing that it, that move had to be done because he couldn't continue to move forward and be successful by attaching his own name. He knew I've got to put somebody else up there yeah. because my name, we're, this is going to have a shelf life now. This is something that comes up a lot on the show and I'm loving your explanation of it. And it's, you, you can't have a people dependent organization. You need to have a system dependent organization and put amazing people into that system. But ultimately the success of a business can't hinge off of one person because that person is stuck. They're glued yeah. to that business and they can't get outside of it to work on it or to create other opportunities for themselves because there's the business needs them. And this is a, a trap for a lot of people just getting started because they, their entire life, they have this vision of their yeah. business, of their dream, of their baby mm-hmm. with my name attached to it. And it's, it's almost, it's ego driven. It is. And that's why we do it. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. why, all of us probably did it in the manner we did originally, whether it was Ken Oranger at Clio or me at Moxie or <laughs> Evan Hennessy at, at Stages or Ben Hasty when he opened Thistlepig. We all, at least on some level, were ego-driven. We, we wanted to be that guy we mm-hmm. wanted to be the chef we needed to Careful prove what you wish that for. we were worth it <laughs> yeah and nothing in the world was going to be right until we did that i i mean i'm speaking for a lot of people right now and that's not fair but i can speak for myself and nothing was going to be right until that happened and i remember right after i opened moxie before that we got to that four or five year period where I knew I had to pull back. Let's say around the two or three year period, there was a point where I was like, this feels like jail. Yeah. I think now's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back to kind of pull back the layers and really go go deep into the evolution of Moxie and how you getting out of the way really helped your career take it to the next level. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. 
Greta will be leading the training, supporting you and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant. But during this no cost to you 60 day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back, and you've been dropping gold on us, man. Uh, just the, the rawness, the realness, uh, the, the importance of not creating a, a person-dependent operation is probably one of the most understated things we can echo here at Restaurant Unstoppable because if you want to – you can't do it in – I don't think you can have extreme success. It depends on how you define success. But if you want to have fiscal success, one restaurant's not going to cut it for most people. Yeah, you agree it's, with that it's totally. Um, and I've said I've said that exact statement to many people that with a restaurant like Moxie, let's say, um, even with it being very successful, you know, we we hit a point at Moxie, probably year two, where, year two, year three, year four, where where we it was kind of like the rocket ship and we got really successful. Yeah. When um, did you guys open? Was that 2013? We opened 2012. 12. Got um, it. We opened 2012. We lost a lot of money the first year. At the end of the first year was when I got nominated for food and wine, best new chef. When that happened, things changed immediately. Yeah. Um, uh, it changed that change that moment changed everything. Like it, it was like overnight, it changed. It was it really did. Um, I mean, it, it's true how much an accolade. I think more. Do you think the, these accolades still carry the same weight they did? To me, they ago? don't. I would imagine that if you end up on the James Beard list and you've never been there before, I imagine that you're gonna have a certain percentage more business than you did before. Mm-hmm. Um. And probably rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, in, in my mind, I, I was hyper-focused on it when I opened Moxie. Like, some people are, but they try to downplay and say, oh, no, that's not important to me. You're it was alone. important to but, me. It I, was very important to me. But it's not now. Like, I don't... And it's not now not just because, okay, been there, done that, you know, for lack of better words. It's not as important to me because it was very... It, it, it was very one-dimensional. It was very surface level. Even though it's not, it, it was that to me. It was like this, like, I remember, like, the first time that I got nominated for the beard, it was, like, the greatest high of my life. And then all of a sudden, it was, like, the lowest low after. Why? Like, because I had, put, I had invested basically my entire life and sacrificed everything else with that goal that was a goal like i'm not gonna downplay that it wasn't a goal Mm -hmm. some people 
will downplay and say it wasn't. And maybe for some people it's not. I actually truly believe Evan Mallett, when he says the first year he ended up on that list, he had no idea. I actually truly believe that um, from Evan Mallett. Some people say it and don't mean it. For me, it w- I was geared towards it. And I don't think you're alone, though. That's no, a no, lot no. of people. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to communicate is that we, it, it's become a James Beard award has become synonymous with success or it, a food and wine or whatever. I think there needs to be a break from it. It has. It has. And it, it's it's funny because it, it goes hand in hand with that ego driven I'm a chef. I need to open my own restaurant. I need my name needs to be synonymous with that restaurant. People need to know who I am. A, a defining factor of that is a James Beard domination, yeah. a James Beard award. And but it but after you know it happened. Actually, so I, I got not four times. I think so. I don't even know now. I think it's four. Um, 2016 to like eight or twenty or something like that. I, I, I had it written. But down. every single time, it was the same thing of. It, it was like cocaine, man. It was like this massive high and then this massive low. And it was because everything that you strived for, you got it. And then it's what's next. And you don't think about the what's next because that moment in time is fleeting. It comes and it goes as quick as it came. And it, it is, it is, it's important for a number of reasons. First, James Beard is, it's a very important organization, well-respected. Some of this stuff, who cares, whatever. James Beard is a very well-respected organization. So there is some weight to it. On a more direct level, it does two things. It puts butts in seats and it allows you to attract Talent. more and better help. Yeah. Those are just facts of the matter. Yeah. I lived that fact. I was able to achieve a level of business I wouldn't have been able to achieve without it and I was able to attract better cooks because of it when that happened. Besides those two things, it, it sets you up for success. It's like getting drunk and feeling great and then having a hangover the next morning because you're like, oh, man, what did I just do? Like, I don't, yeah. It, I, sorry, keep going. It, 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 I, I know, again, I, I never like to speak for everyone, but I felt that. I definitely felt this massive letdown after the a rush went and now it's not that's why it's not as important to me anymore like so i don't know how much weight it has i think the pandemic potentially changed how much weight they have as a whole but for me personally it just got to the point where i need to i need to look at more holistic things i need to do things that are deepening the worth of the time spent and energy invested because clearly this isn't doing it because this is four times in a row now that yeah. I've gone through the same cycle and uh, it ain't doing it for me. It's what a nice one night stand, but <laughs> there's yeah. nothing after that. Yeah. I, I hear you. So like for me, the, my biggest pushback when it comes to this, this uh, award culture that we have, or this like recognition culture, media culture, food and wine, James Beard, like they have so much weight over our industry, the success of certain organizations. And I think what happens, I mean, your proof, like 
you wanting you needing the James Beard so early in your career is so many people in the industry. There's only so many awards that go out, though. And I think yeah. that's what people under, need to understand. There's only yeah. one best chef mm-hmm. northeast. There's mm-hmm. only one best restaurant northeast. Mm-hmm. Like, how many awards are there available to go out? How many people work in this industry? And how many people are jockeying for those awards? I'd say after 2007 is where, where like, the culture of the industry really changed, where now it's about, like, oh, like, they see what's happening across the industry in all different states, like, coast to coast. People are sharing what's happening. The bar is being risen on the industry as far as quality goes around this time, as far as what's coming out of kitchens. Between 2007 and, like, 2020, like, there is this movement of just cult food, like, across the country like the bar was being raised so many people were out for a james beard award thousands of people were out for a james beard award and they're building their restaurants like they were out for a james beard award you said the first year you were in business you were losing money i lost a lot of money that's most restaurants yeah because they're out for a james beard fucking award yeah you know what i'm saying and like that business model in my opinion isn't it might be sustainable in the sense of everything we do is sustainable minus maybe our, our our physical health you know and our mental health but you're trying to do food right slow food you know you're, you're all trying but that comes at outrageous expenses yeah labor just the, the quality Ma- of the product expenses. itself it's is it fiscally responsible it's absolutely my, not yeah and, and it's but, not it's not not just fiscally but Health wise, when I, first I was started, yeah. I was so unhealthy going through that process the first couple of years. I mean, I was a shell of a human. Uh, like it was, that's what it was. Yeah. I would also make the argument, which is kind of fucked up, but I would also make the argument that if I didn't go through that, we wouldn't have got to the place mm-hmm. where we are now. Mm-hmm. I um, get it, and- which is a very weird, yeah. You know, it's it's like a contradiction. That but. model works, you know, of like go out, get like bust your ass, sacrifice for a year, and then let that hard work pay off when you start getting the recognition you deserve. But I just don't think there's enough recognition to go around for the amount of restaurants operating at that caliber. No, there's not. I, I you know, I do think one of the best things that James Beard has done is, um, I think, 2000 and either 2000, let's say 2010, somewhere around there was when they first came out with the long list, with the semifinal list. Yeah. Before that, there was no semifinal list. It was the four or five finalists. That was it. Um, when they came out with the long list, I now I'm <laughs> speaking frankly, and I'm sure they did it because they saw value in the dollar. Like, oh, if we come out with a long list, now we're getting... 20 to 25 people that are going to push our organization instead of just four or five. Mm -hmm. So it was probably a good marketing move on there. And the same way food and wine went from right at basically the exact same time before that food and wine was, they would come out with the 10 best new chefs. That was it. Around the same time they added in the people's choice, Mm. which then upped their ante to probably a hundred throughout the nation their, their business moves, their marketing moves. Yeah. Let's not play around it. I reaped the benefits of yeah. both, yeah. and I'm okay with that. But I do think that that's one of the best things that James Beard did because it allowed more people to be involved. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> the chances of you, the chances of you winning, let's just say James Beard Northeast, Best Chef Northeast, the chances of you winning that 
are slim to none. The chances of you being one of the four to five finalists are slim to none. However, you do have a fighting chance to be on that long list. And I've always said to me that if you if you make that long list, and I know that it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe dumbing it down and downplaying it, but I really believe it. If you make that long list, to me, that's you've in terms of winning a James Beard, you've won. Because exactly like what you're saying, only one person's going to win. And there is, at any given year, there's, I'd say, at least four people that could win. Any one of the four could win. Only one's going to win. That's just the way a competition yeah. works. Yeah. And if you make that long list, okay, you're in the game. You're at the table. You're, you're at the table. Yeah. And... There's nothing more you can do. Now, still, that leads to misguided and misdirected motivation if what you're doing is to achieve that result. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's as pure as it should be, but at least that's there now where you can make the long list. Because before that, no chance. I I think we can wrap up this subject of the conversation because I know you have so much more to offer and I don't want to spend our entire time talking about this but the mission statement of Restaurant Unstoppable is to inspire empower and transform the industry you've inspired us with your story and just like just that go get it go through the obstacle mentality you've given us great advice on not creating a, a person dependent organization and when I talk about transformation is it's really just values driven like what are the values of the industry why do we do what we do and, and sharing this type of information is the kind of information that I think that's going to transform the industry. Like really like stop chasing awards have, don't think fiscal responsibility is yucky and it's not all about, it's not all about the money, but it, you need money to be successful. Yeah. You can't chase awards cause you're going to burn your chance of having a successful career if you're burning through cash, you yeah. know? So that's the, the big message I want people to understand is that you need to be fiscally responsible. And if your goal is to get an award, like you're, you're, you're likely not going to get it and you're likely not going to be fiscally responsible because your labor expenses are going to be up there. Like it's just, anyway, it sounds like you went through this evolution, this four years of just putting your head down, having your name being uh, like side by side with the Moxie brand. I think there is a balance of, Hey, like your restaurant should be an extension of who you are. It should be, the brand should be you on walls and on paper. It's your values. It's your vision. It's, it's your passions. It should be an extension of you. But where do you, how did you find that line? Like, where do you cut the line between <laughs> this is my business that I created and this is me? How did you remove yourself? Cause I think we need to be better about removing ourselves from yeah. the business. So take it from there. How did you get to that point? Well, initially there was a moment in time. Um, let's say before I was ready that maybe started that trajectory. And that moment in time was right after we opened Franklin. Um, I wasn't setting out to open another restaurant. I didn't, I wasn't looking to open another restaurant. Jay, Jay, my business partner, he grabbed me one day and was like, Hey, I got to show you something. Brought me down to the Franklin space. It was, it was empty at that point in time. I was, I was at Moxie when he grabbed me prepping, um, brings me down there. I was like, Jay, what, what's going on, man? Like, you think of another restaurant? Like, I got a prep list I'm working on. Like, I got shit on the stove, man. Like, he's like, ah, just hear me out. So anyway, it wasn't even on my radar. We went through the process. I took a long time to come to the conclusion that it was the right move to do another restaurant. We did it. Right when we opened, probably the first night, I remember there was a moment that 
Jay and I were outside the front door. We, we were on the street. And I was like borderline having a panic attack. And he's like, ah, you'll be fine, man. Like, you know, you got it. You'll figure it out. I was like, Jay, it's, it's, it's not about the workload of two restaurants. Now, at this moment in time, there's food going out in two places <laughs> that have my name on it. And I can't touch every plate if I wanted to. This is the first time in my life that I can't do that. When it was just Moxie, if I chose to, I could touch every plate going out. I, had, I could make the decision if I wanted to or not. Now, I can't make that decision anymore. That decision is made for me that I can't touch all the food going out with my name on it. That was a very daunting thought. That was the beginning of realizing, okay, I need to get over this hump. <laughs> Actually, so when I said that to Jay outside the restaurant, he said, well, you better figure it out because it's not changing now. <laughs> <laughs> but, and he was right. Um, but that kind of started the process. I think first that's initially... It's a great Jay McSherry uh, impression, t- yeah, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to lay in too deep. Uh, I did have um, Jay on the show. If you guys are interested in learning more about Jay's story, uh, your partner, um, I don't. I was trying to look up the, the, the episode number. Just type in Jay McSherry or Jay Group after Restaurant Unstoppable and it will come up. But keep going. And so that, that was the initial moment in time. And initially it was actually more business professional driven like okay as a professional as a business person now i need to get to the point where i'm comfortable with things happening without me i've got to delegate more like before that i think that like all every short rib that was cooked at moxie I cooked. I wouldn't let anyone else cook the short rib or pull it. I've had those short like, ribs, by the way. They're amazing. <laughs> and I wouldn't let anyone else cook the short rib. Like, yeah. no, no one can do it else right. I'm the only one that could do it. I don't want anyone else to touch the short rib. Like, okay, I better start letting other people touch the short yeah. rib now. Yeah. And, you know, you apply that tenfold. So it was originally and initially driven by the fact that professionally, now I needed to delegate. I had no choice. I had to learn how to trust people. I had to learn how to let other people make mistakes and I had to be okay with that. At some point much further down the road, intertwined, it became also more personally um, involved in it. It wasn't just, okay, I need to do this professionally because I have a business model that requires it. It was, I need to do this personally as well because being 100% focused professionally is no longer doing it for me. It's no longer going to be sustainable to just be one-tracked. I'm a cook. I'm a chef. I do nothing else. Um, and so I had to then start doing it for myself as well, which was a, it was a, another step of the evolution after having to do it professionally. Yeah. So what... What things changed about Moxie to let you do Franklin? And Franklin was 2016? Yeah, I think so. That sounds about right. Yeah, because it was four years later. Yeah. So, like, what had to change systems-wise, operational-wise, to be able to remove Matt Lewis from Moxie so he could go create a new baby? Uh, The biggest thing was, was putting other people in positions to make decisions, to do responsible things 
and allowing them to do it. Um, when I first opened Moxie, there was no sous chef. I quickly made, we, we quickly made two sous chefs, but upon opening Franklin, there needed to be a chef de cuisine. Um, and I, not only did we need to call someone that, I, I needed to let them do that job because if I call someone chef de cuisine and I'm going to micromanage them anyway and just keep trying to do it over their shoulder, well, what's the point? And they're not mm-hmm. going to last. I needed to have someone that could do it and that I allowed to do it. And that the biggest part was not having someone that could do it. There's plenty of capable people. It was me allowing them to do it and, and not breathing down their neck, not double-checking the produce order or the dry goods order, not micromanaging every single dish they put on the menu, not getting upset if something didn't go right. Like, I mean, I, I make mistakes. Yeah. Why isn't someone else allowed to make mistakes? Yeah. We all make mistakes. Exactly. And, and but, that, that, had, that was the initial that had to happen. Um, further down the road when we took on street and opened Luigi's, that title went from chef de cuisine to now there needs to be an executive chef in both places. It's a small little difference, but it is a major difference um, to me because when that shift happened, when then there became an executive chef in each place, at that point I'm kind of now giving, I'm giving even more responsibility to that person. I'm expecting more out of them. I'm expecting them to run the entire operation. Where chef de cuisine, I was kind of still, with only two especially being that close in proximity, I was still there every single day. Yeah, you guys are what a half mile I, from each other. Yeah, not we, even I had a little cut through behind the parking yeah. garage. I could be there in forty two seconds. Yeah, like, and you're a runner, man. So, so. I was still there, um, and I was still behind the line at one place or another every single night. I think that is a huge lesson in itself. If you do open a second restaurant, make sure it's within walking distance. <laughs> for me, yeah, <laughs> I I can't imagine doing one for. I have no desire to do one yeah. further away. Yeah. Um, so many questions running through my mind right now. Uh, but I mean, obviously, yes, the, the biggest thing you have to do is relinquish control, right? But do you, did you do anything else to make sure the standards were being met? Did you in where I'm going with this is did you did you change your business system wise, operational wise to make sure that the end product is something that Matt Lewis would sign off on, put his name on the, the plate would go out to your standard. Did you change operations to be able to not rely on you? I, I, I honestly didn't change too much else because the, the, you know, just speaking Moxie direct, I mean, and Franklin's similar situation, the first chef de cuisine at Moxie was Adam Barry who had opened Moxie with me and had been with me for five years before that. The first chef de cuisine of Franklin was Matt Decker who opened Moxie with me and was with me five years before that. <laughs> yeah. So you the, recreated yourself in these people the, and they uh, knew the standards. They knew the operations. We, yeah. Well, we'd just been working together so long that, you know, they, I trust these people. Yeah. Um, and throughout Moxie until very recently, like there was always someone like the second chef de cuisine was Chris Cherum, who had been with me for two years the third chef de cuisine was Chris Hayes, who at that point had been with me for four years. The next chef de cuisine was Jillian, who'd been with me for four years at that point. So there was, and the same, it was the same thing at Franklin. Like, um, it, 
it wasn't until very recently post pandemic for the first time that I had to bring people in from the outside more so, or hadn't been with me so long, but that, and that's actually taking a step back. That is the reason, the single reason why I decided that opening Franklin was a good idea because I went back and forth for months. If I want to do this, if I'm capable of doing this, if I should do this, and the sticking point that I landed on as to why I did it was if I don't do it, then I'm putting a ceiling on and a cap on the growth of Matt Decker and Adam Barry. Because with one getting back to one single restaurant and not being enough, no matter how successful it is, that's where Moxie was. Moxie was very successful at the point when we opened Franklin. But there was only so much growth that was going to happen, and not just for me or the business, but for Matt Decker, for Adam Barry. And I realized if I don't do Franklin, if I don't open another restaurant, I'm not giving them any more opportunities to grow within what I can offer them. So they're either going to leave or worse, they're going to stay and yeah. Just get complacent. So, like, how do you grow? You either get a bigger location or get a bigger space or you, you physically grow or you take parts out of it to create more room for growth. And in this case, Moxie didn't change. You removed yourself mm-hmm. from the, the equation to make more room to move people up. Correct. And then you went and went, opened another location and you created another void in Moxie where you can move people up. Yeah. And that right there, in my opinion, is the only reason you grow what you just shared is to create opportunity for other people. And until you can create opportunity, until you've attracted onto yourself, like you did four to five years of just growing people, of building people up, of building the brand up where it can can stand on its own. Only then can you move out until you've had that foundation, whether you're leaning on people or systems in this case, because you're a high touch type of restaurant, a fine dining restaurant, I mean, would you identify yourself as fine? I would. In Relax. this community, the food, it's more on the... The, the food is yeah. high quality. Yeah. You need that dependency on people. But it's this idea of like just, yeah, you, you, you grow by either making room in that physical space or by opening another location. But you need the people and you need the cash flow to do that. And we were very fortunate. I was very fortunate that, I mean, really until the pandemic we were had this culture of this farm system happening stan stan who was the chef of the the franklin going into the pandemic he is a um he was a refugee from ukraine wow. um he came from ukraine i think i remember seeing you see, uh, seeing this did you post he, about this yeah and he um somebody one of his friends i didn't even know stan he was this is a tangent but whatever um one of his friends was supposed to wash dishes at Moxie one night for me. I didn't know Stan. The guy didn't show up. I'm calling the number he gave me. He's not picking up. Finally, this other guy who was Stan picks up the phone, and he's like, yeah, so-and-so isn't coming tonight. I was like, well, who the hell is this? <laughs> he's like, oh, this is Stan. I was like, well, what are you doing? Get your ass in here. <laughs> he never worked. There. I never met him. So he came. He came that night, I and he washed I- dishes, and uh, he ended up. Oh, you told me this story he, he, when you came on during the, the pandemic. I, I remember this is so familiar. Sorry so he ended on. up staying and um, worked his way all the way through from dishwasher to line cook, all the stations at Moxie, went down to Franklin, became sous chef at Franklin, became chef at Franklin. Wow. Um, I was very, very fortunate. We were very fortunate that 
that really up until the pandemic, we had this farm system where the next person was always there. Kyle um, is another one who was the chef at Franklin who worked at both places, had been with me for four or five years. When Stan left, he became the chef. Um, Dickie, who's here, has worked at Moxie, Franklin. He's the sous chef here now. Um, And we had this farm system which again we were very fortunate but it made it it made it a lot easier to grow which in that same word is the word delegate and trust other people during that process because we all knew each other we were we were tight we'd worked with each other for years i didn't have to worry about oh is chris hayes going to do a good job is he going to do the short rib the right way like He's been doing the show for four years. We're yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, and we were very fortunate to to have that. It made that process a lot easier. So uh, we've been talking a lot about the details of the people, the leadership, uh, the th- not having a, bu- a business hinge on you. One thing I was really hoping we would get into today um, is the, the greater functionality of the J Group, which is, your, which is what you're starting to get into now, which is this, this, this idea of... Uh, grooming people, of growing people, farming people, and creating opportunity. That's the one thing. I, I have to say, the J Group is probably one of the, the restaurant groups out there that I have the most admiration for. And it's because of this constant, you, you see it in all the restaurants that, that are associated with J Group, this, this growing of people and providing opportunity for people. How many of the restaurants in the J Group were created to create an opportunity for somebody who started as like a server or like a line cook. Yeah, a, a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I do obviously think it's, you know, let's not get too far away in the romantic notion. Like, and that is there, but it's, it, it has to be mutually beneficial as well. Um, you know, you could make the argument, the restaurant we're sitting in now, Luigi's, you could make that romantic argument that it was created for Decker because he loves pizza and he always has and talked about doing a pizza restaurant forever, which is true, but it has to be beneficial on the other end. This has to be a a good opportunity for, for Jay um, or anyone else involved for me. um, You know, you can say that about um, Ornell's with, with Will and Dave, like, yes, in some sense, it made sense to create a barbecue restaurant because Will knows barbecue and can do barbecue and wants to do barbecue. But Jay's not going to do that if it's not mutually beneficial or he sees the potential in it being a successful place. Um, Not all places end up successful, but he's not even going to make the attempt unless it looks like it's going to be something that is. So that what you're saying is there and it's a wonderful thing and it's something that is very unique and doesn't happen everywhere and is a, I think is a huge draw to be part of this organization, but he's just not going to go around creating restaurants for no. people. <laughs> they yeah. have to, it has to be something. The and win-win he, has to be there. And usually it's an organic thing. Like, like a lot of times he doesn't necessarily, he's not seeking something out. An opportunity may present itself over here. Like someone may say, Hey, I got this space. You know, I want I want to sell you this restaurant. It's not working out for me. And over here, I, you know, let's just say like a, a, or, Ornell's and Will. You know, over over here, he's like, oh, I've got this 
I've got this guy, Will, barbecue. I got this other guy over here saying, I got this space available. I wonder if we could put them both together. It's usually like that where it's organic. It's not a planned out thing. Like Street Exeter is kind of a perfect example actually as well. Patrick, who was a chef at Street here, when so street we, here, we're talking about street in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, street wasn't a, a, a J group original, though. You guys correct. acquired that, did you not? We did. We acquired yeah. it. It was a very unique situation. Typically, when people buy restaurants, they buy them to close it down and open their own yeah, concept. You're buying because, the assets within. Yeah. Right. Who wants to buy someone else's vision or concept? Yeah. That's no fun. Um, street was an anomaly in that fact because street is probably the most popular, most successful restaurant in town. Josh and Michelle, the previous owners, the ones that opened it, just a remarkable job at creating what street is. They just nailed it. It's a home run, and that's hard to do in the restaurant business. Um, Anyway, Patrick basically been at Street Portsmouth since it opened um, and was the chef, sous chef, when, when Josh and Michelle towards the end of their tenure when Josh started having some other things going on, doing other restaurants and whatnot. We took over. We bought it. Patrick really need because now Patrick's 10 years into Street Portsmouth, a very hard, aggressive, demanding restaurant to work in. Patrick needed something else. His, he, the clock was ticking on Patrick that we've got to get him something else. Because People need to grow. They need, he's it's, got it's a grow. human need. Yeah. yeah, and he was there. So that thought's kind of like percolating over here. Over here, Kath, who's a very, very good friend of, of Jay, the owner of, of Blue Moon Evolution. Um, Past guest on the show, Kath Gallant. Yeah. yeah. In Exeter, she reaches out to Jay and says, all right, Jay, it's time. I'm done with this. Do you want to buy the restaurant? So now you got Patrick over here needing something to do, an opportunity for a restaurant over here the idea in the middle of replicating street somewhere else has always been there because street is a concept that is easily replicable that will be successful in a lot of communities. What makes it easy, easily replicable? It's, that's a tough word. Yeah, it? it's a really, I don't even know if it's a real one. <laughs> replicable. I think that's it's, it. Um, it's, 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 it bridges the gap of being unique and different, but also approachable to a lot of people at the same mm. time. It's fun. You can truly, anyone can find something on that menu. And frankly, Josh just did such a phenomenal job of laying out that menu and executing it that it's delicious. But it's a scratch kitchen. It's not, a, it's not an easy menu to execute. It is not an easy menu to yeah. execute. Everything is done there, and it's wildly busy. So, it's a massive menu, and it's extremely busy. <laughs> feel free to correct me, but the, the I hate the word theme but the, or concept, but the idea behind it is it's street food from around the the world correct yep street yep. food from around the world josh was a genius in bridging that gap also making it approachable enough to people because you could do a restaurant with street food from around the world and have it not be approachable mm-hmm. like there's a lot of really aggressive street food from around the world oh yeah he found a way to do it there's some gross street it. food from around the world right. that people aren't going to touch. But, but he just nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. Um, and so when those things happened, that's kind of the way it happens with Jay, that it just made sense because Kath is ready to sell Blue Moon. 
She reached out to Jay. Are you interested? Patrick needs something to do. It's a great, um, financially, the, the purchase makes sense. Yeah. If, if, if we can put something in that space that's successful financially, it's going to give us an opportunity to succeed. Okay, we got to win. And so the match has to be there. But when the match is there, then it works. Mm. Man, so many ways we can take the conversation right now. Uh, where are you today? What is – you wake up. Do you go into the restaurant? Are you – Are you? what's, what's your day look like? The day of Matt Lewis look like today? <laughs> my, my days these days, I'm a full-time line cook here at Luigi's. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'm right. It's, um, is, is, it, is that by choice or the, the reality of the industry? It's the reality of the industry. Going into the pandemic, going into the pandemic, we – we were kind of right at the point where I was actually trying to figure out what my new role was going to be moving forward, what my day is. Kind of probably the answer that you were wishing I had right now, but I told you I'm a full-time line cook at Luigi's instead. It's you and a lot um, of restaurant owners right now, which is you know just the reality of the industry. It's the reality of the yeah. business. And it go right going into the pandemic, I was really like, okay, I've got to now – we're at a point that where do I fit in? What is my new role? Because we were staffed at all places. All places were doing well. I had a chef in each place, sous chef in each places. So I was at that point where, okay, now I've got to figure out where and how I contribute on a level that I've yet to do. Um, Post-pandemic, the reality of the world there's still a part of my day that obviously includes that because it's my job as well. But I'm a, I, I'm, I cook behind the line here right now because of necessity, because that's just the world we live yeah. in right now. So we're going through the gears of life, the, the gears of chef Matt Lewis life. The first gear was, I like working in restaurants. I like the, the atmosphere, the camaraderie. Second gear was, <laughs> I fucking love food. I have this opportunity to work under the best chefs in the world. I'm going to grow as an incredible chef. Third gear was, I opened my own restaurant. Uh, I, I'm putting my brand, my, my life into something. And um, now I'm going to escape it. I'm going to break the shackles from that brand. And I realize that, I can't be a successful restaurateur if every restaurant needs me. So you shift into fourth gear. That's where we are now. What was the next shift for you? Was there the next evolution for Chef Matt Lewis where you think take, took you to the, from fourth to fifth gear of just restaurant operator? I, I, I think that I was in I, – I was shifting that gear – Again, right going into the pandemic, um, I was trying to find that gear. I was trying to figure out what that gear was. I had never done that gear. Um, I don't even think that there's a handbook or a manual to that gear. You've got to kind of figure out what that gear is for you. And I was really, that was my focus right pre-pandemic was was figuring out what that was. Um, what it was looking like at that time was I was spending a lot of time with the chef and sous chefs at each place talking about what we need, talking about where we're going, talking about food, talking about menus. In a way, I was looking three months, six months down the line where the chef and sous chef are looking maybe today, next week, one month down the line. I was trying to look further down the line 
then bring that back to where we were today so that to make sure that we were on the right track to get there staying the course in terms of, of, of standards and making sure we didn't veer too far, doing my best to keep people engaged. Um, I was trying to figure out what my day looked like on that level. Um, again, the pandemic completely changed mm. everything for everybody. And that a lot of that is on hold right now because we're still in, we're in survival mode. Yeah. Um, anyone that says differently, either they've got it figured out better than me or they're just delusional to the reality around them because we are not out of this. Yeah. We're not going to be. No. We're in survival We've got a couple-year recession ahead of us. You and, know? and that's why, you know. Hopefully that's all it is is a recession. Um, I want to talk about that. A big part of what we talk about now on the show is, like, where are we today? Where are we going? Where would you like us to go? And what do you think needs to happen in the industry to get there? How do we live intentionally, collectively as an industry? But I want to get one more nugget out of you before yeah. we start talking about that. Um, you've opened the Franklin. You've opened Moxie. We got you, you acquire Street. Uh, you open a second street. You have Luigi's West End Pizzeria. Out of all these things that have happened, of all the stories, where is there a learnable moment? A story where, with a learnable moment that helped form who you are as a professional today that we can pay forward to our listeners. Why? It's tough. You know, I think they come, I think they come everywhere. They come every day. Um, You know, I can't think of like not one specific moment, but I know one thing that I really try my hardest to do is listen to people and pay attention to people. Um, Everybody's got, their own lives everybody's got their own day everybody's got their own challenges everybody's got their own struggles and we may not be able to solve everybody's problems we probably can't we probably shouldn't even try but at the very least if we can empathize with what people have going on ideally that can allow everybody to move forward together i feel like in in years past and days past you know and i i don't want to say i'm guilty of it because to me that's just the wrong wording in years past it was just kind of the way it was where it was it was more you're driving you're driving and like figure it out check your shit at the door i don't care get on your station let's rip i don't care (laughs) those days don't really exist anymore not only do you have to care i actually want to care i want to know what's going on people were dispendable at one point like you don't you're not on board like you're you're, you can't get out of that whatever funk you're in then i'll find the next person that will replace you now you need that person now you have to care about where that person is mentally you have to ask questions you have to listen you have to give a fuck because if you don't give a fuck they're gonna go find somebody who does give a fuck yeah and and not only do i need to because of those reasons i i want to as well like take a guy like matt decker for instance like Matt Decker has been with me for 12 years. That's a long time. Like, if I don't want to give a fuck about his life, I I really would need to consider that statement. Mm. Um, 
and that's important to me like knowing where people are at and respecting that and 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 and, and trying to help that build the culture of of the day in, in in those small little pieces and moments and um I, I, I think there is value there of of a little bit of empathy can can go a long way and, and I I don't know, maybe it just makes me feel better, but I think that there is some some, some truth to that that taking a second to listen to somebody to, to sometimes just just talking and listening. Yeah. You don't need a solution you don't need to solve the problem sometimes just letting somebody talk it out is solving the problem yeah yeah. so is it just a matter of being present and self-aware of what's happening around you uh emotionally intelligent of connecting and finding off somebody finding out if somebody's slightly off and then in that moment just addressing it or are you now blocking time and really being like like let's make time to talk i think it's organic it could be either one um i i I think you know, for me, it definitely starts with just being aware in the moment. And maybe if it's something that is larger or continues, okay, maybe l- let's block off time. Let's let's sit down, you know, let's figure it out. I, I think it's just, for me, it's paying attention to what that situation and that person needs and doing everything I can to give them that, even if that is just an ear yeah. for a moment. Yeah. And a lot of times that's honestly, a lot of times that's what it is, is people just knowing that you can, they're hurt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you've kind of alluded a couple of times that the pandemic has been tough for the J group. Uh, the, the kind, the type of concepts that the J group has being high touch, slow food, uh, full service, were a lot of the concept majority of what is that safe to say i think so there is some other ones yeah but, you know mostly i'd say yeah. yeah um was there a forced evolution did you guys evolve operationally business-wise after like was there was there any forced evolution from the pandemic that's present to this day things that you you had to do to evolve that you're like this is probably a new standard that we should maintain is is the J Group restaurants or are the J Group restaurants or or any of the restaurants that you have equity in different today as a result of the pandemic? I I would go as far to say that I think that probably every restaurant everywhere in this country is different in some way because of it. I don't think there's a restaurant out there that something isn't different because of it because it was that it is that demanding it was that all-encompassing it was that on such a large scale and i i think in the beginning in the beginning like you know we're we're humans and we're analytical and we want everything to be factual and black and white because that's an easy way to solve a problem and so i think with that mindset in the beginning there was black and white tangible Changes. I mean, some of the biggest ones were, I, I don't know, sanitizing every square inch of the place every time somebody breathes and shifting to takeout, right? Yeah. Like those were black and white tangible things that in the beginning, I think the mindset was there that we're going to do these things to get through, but they're temporary, whatever they may be. I just gave two examples, but they're temporary to get through this moment in time and then 
will re-enter another moment in time. Now, I, I look at it um, totally differently now. The way I look at it now is that the, the, the world is shifting right now. It's still shifting. It's not done. Um, in some ways, the shifting of the world didn't start until, let's say, the pandemic ended. Then the world really started shifting. And to get to your question about changes and adaptations of the restaurants, the way I see it is we're constantly making these tiny little shifts and adjustments and changes because the world is forcing us to right now. We don't have a choice in a lot of things. The only choice that we have is are we going to pay attention and listen and make the changes as we need to, or are we going to try to fight them, which in my opinion isn't going to go well. We're going to lose. What do you mean? What, in what ways would you want to fight? Uh, what resistance would you want to put up? Uh, to, to, to live in this facade that Moxie could somehow be open seven days a week right now. Yeah. To, not pay line cooks an hourly wage that we can't afford. Mm. And I know that's a hot button topic. Like that's not saying I don't want to pay line cooks as much as possible. I do. But the reality of the labor market right now, which a lot of people aren't, they're not talking about, they're not saying everybody's just saying, Oh, we're pro pro employee, pro employee, pro pro employee. I am too. I am the most pro employee person there is, but if we don't have an employer, there is no employee. Mm-hmm. And the way the labor market's going, we are forced to just do anything we can to try to get people. The major thing that we're forced to do to try to get people is we're paying more than the business model says is sustainable. Yeah. I'm really happy that everybody's making money. Yeah, But, but people are like... Sometimes you just need to shake these people that are just like, yeah, they should have given paid this all along. Well, have you seen my income statement? Mm. Have you seen my P&L? I have one line of revenue and I have four pages of expenses. Wow. And if one cooler breaks, that number, that very last number, the profit number, that probably just went Zip. to having More a negative, negative <laughs> yeah. in front of it. Yeah. Like, and uh, you know, the, 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 the media and social media, they, they drive these narratives of, Oh, employees are finally getting what they deserve. Okay, maybe they are. But we're forgetting this other side of the narrative that, well, can we, aff- can we really afford to pay dishwashers 20 bucks an hour? Right. Come on. I mean, well, Give me a this, fucking break. Well, this is exactly the kind of stuff that, you know, there's forced changes taking place. I think one of them is the business models changing to, to rely less on labor. And how do you do that in an in industry or in a, in concepts that are so uh, labor heavy, like you have a lot of yeah. labor heavy concepts because you're, you're putting out quality and yeah. quality requires skill and skill requires a paycheck and, and num- a number of people to execute on those things. If, and, so what are the things that you think knowing what you know, knowing the direction of the industry, knowing that these things that we can't change, what are you doing to be better in the future to, to have more? <laughs> yeah fiscally responsible and sustainable businesses under the new pressures. So the way the, the 
kind of where my mind's at and the way that I look at it and kind of where I was going before I got all fired up. I love the fire. Um, was that we don't know what the future is. It sounds like a pretty blanket statement, but I, I don't think a lot of people are thinking that way. And the way, the way that I mean that is we don't know what the future is, is all we can do is continue to make these sometimes minute little changes as we're forced to and hopefully continue to ride the wave until it gets to a point where these little clicks of the dial of changes slow down. They're not happening as much. Where We're at a point where we actually know what the day is, where it's sustainable, where we can say we know what the future is because before the pandemic, we did know what the future was. Yeah, you had the data. We had had the data. We had the business model. It made sense. In some ways things were easy because the model made sense right now we don't know what the model is no one knows what the model is and i don't think anyone has any control over it the world is changing the model every day and i don't think that process is going to stop for a long time i think it's a very painful moment in time but i also think that it's a very necessary moment in time and i think that the change that's going to happen in the long run is going to be better for everyone but it's just such a fucking hard time right now to go through that change. I think it's it's exciting to know that culture can change exponentially. And you've seen just just in our lifetime, you're like you're in your what your late thirties, early forties ballpark. Yeah, me too. And just thinking about the change that I've experienced, that I've witnessed in how people are and how we we treat each other and how more how much more open minded we are and how much more. Uh, important is that equity is a part of the conversation whether it's racial equity or fiscal equity like we're i think that this is becoming a we're we're making progress you know but it's change but but it's hard the change is hard what do you think needs to happen not just within the industry but culturally and this is a question i ask because one of my fears is that we're going to be so reactive to the market we 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 react ourselves in the corners this industry we just give the people what they want what needs to change holistically culturally across all industries for us to move forward in the right direction if i had that answer yeah <laughs> i could solve all the world's problems right, right? I, I, you know i don't have the answer i would say that i i i think that the a, a big piece of this there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle but to me i guess like a most direct piece of the puzzle is the labor force is the workforce in America, and that has changed drastically, um, massive. Um, I was in Hannaford this morning, and they were having their group little huddle, their meeting. There were six of them, and the only conversation they had is, "We don't have enough people right now, so we've got to adjust." And the manager's got to be over this just this morning in Hannaford. Um, yeah. You know, I, I flew last week, and the airline industry is 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 same thing. You know, yeah. massive. So this is across the board. Yeah. We let, in the restaurant business, we we put our blinders on and think, oh, we have it worse than everyone, yeah, and it's just us. us. Yeah. It's not. It's everybody. Yeah. I I I don't think it's going to change for a while, but I think that until 
we get the labor market, the workforce back out in larger numbers, that is our biggest challenge, headache, stress, hurdle to overcome. To me, right now, everything starts and ends with staffing. And I bet most people would say the same because it's massive. And some people are more optimistic than me. The pandemic has made me a realist, not a pessimist, but a realist. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. You don't see what specifically changing anytime soon? The days before the pandemic where I could post an ad... And people would respond to it. People would respond, and I could potentially interview people to decide which was the best candidate for the job. Now... I post an ad. I'm lucky if anyone responds. And if they respond, if they show up, they're getting the job. Yeah. That is forcing you to lower your, your, that's massive difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and this is, this is everybody everywhere. This is not like, okay, everybody just hates me. So they're not applying to my job. They, they may, but that's not the reason. This is across the board. Everybody's in this boat. And in, in tool, more people, come back to work in the traditional sense operations that rely on workers in the traditional sense like restaurants there's some industries that don't rely on workers in the traditional sense great they can figure it out restaurants you need workers in the traditional sense you actually need people to show to be at the property for a required schedule for the day until that loosens up that that's where that is where we're at that is the reality of the life and the day that we live in right now got it man can you believe we've already been speaking for like an hour and 40 minutes it, it goes by so that's fast crazy. man uh, i really enjoyed everything you shared with us today is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss today that we did not talk about or or a message you want to get out before we get to the speed round I don't think so. It's been a good conversation. Yeah, man. You've been just rolling with it. I loved everything you dropped on us. Uh, I do like to echo the mission statement whenever possible. We are here to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. So on that note, how have you transformed personally? Who's Chef Matt Lewis today versus Chef Matt Lewis in 2012 when you opened his first restaurant? I try. I make a conscious effort now to have more balance in my life. When, when I opened Moxie, I was 100% in that restaurant cook chef it was my only reality there was there was nothing outside that restaurant um i i even with the challenges of today i try to live a more balanced life live a more wholesome life do things outside the restaurant um for myself and ideally that's better for me which in turn is ideally better for the restaurant as well and what is one ideal thing you would like to transform about the industry if there's one thing that you just aren't happy with with where the industry is today something that we're doing a a a status quo we're accepting what's one thing you would change if we could change what needs to change whatever the answer is to get people back working whatever that answer is that's what needs to change yeah if you could 
speculate one thing to get people back working, what, what would you say? If, if this happened, people would come back. What is that? I think that a lot of it is because there's been so many opportunities that have been created, some just with time and evolution, some specifically because of the pandemic, of gig economy type stuff yeah easy money easy no and e- e- I'll, we'll say easy money but um let's say alternative to a traditional job like i don't know um <laughs> but I, I think of like uber driving yeah okay there's a perfect one where you can make your money but you can also make your own schedule yeah and i think that technology as well as the pandemic giving everyone a moment in time where they actually had more time and forcing them to reevaluate what they wanted and how to use it. It it like it broke the norm of going to work for your posted schedule every day. Right. Yeah. Which I guess you could argue is a good thing, but now all these opportunities are created of working from home, doing things that you make your own schedule. Um, I, I don't know anything about like, social media influencing but maybe that's a thing too all these new streams i think a big part is the tech in the industry and those people wanting to hire restaurant people where there's more like the sales jobs associated with hospitality as Mm -hmm. as new technology in the restaurant industry evolves and as people are plugging new technology in like they're going after restaurant people so i think that's another competitor that's out there now that we'd never really noticed before yeah so i guess to answer the question would be i'm hoping that all the you know whenever anything's new it's big and then everything balances out to where it belongs in the world i'm hoping that we're on this moment right now where it's all those other things are new yeah and it's hot but we get to a point where it balances out. We're peak discomfort. Yeah, and because and, yeah. if that happens and then they balance out to their place in the world because they have a place and they will have a place. But when they balance a little more, some of the people will be drawn back to jobs that, that you just have to have a traditional schedule and a traditional work. When that balances, hopefully that then allows us to to kind of move forward more. Got it, got it. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a true speed round. It's no secret that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu answering pop menu answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like can i make a reservation or where are you located and over 50 percent of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system with the pop menu platform you can customize answers for your restaurant and you can choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message pop menu answering picks up your phone 24 7 365 days a year allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most 
prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off for your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Hard work. What is your biggest weakness? Balance. How are you finding balance? Uh, we got into it a little bit during the interview, but like, what's one thing that you started doing that really changed your ability? Thing. Uh, running. Yeah. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? When you're growing your team, aside from the fact that they're interested in the job, <laughs> that's what basically the standard is today. What are you looking for when you're growing your team? Reliability. Mm. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Staffing. How are you overcoming it? Praying. Working the line. <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. A way to be, a way to act, a core value. Reliable. <laughs> what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your restaurant to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest, but not common throughout the industry. The guest isn't always right. What happens when they're not right? What do you do? We're going out of one word here. We make them happy, but we also do not have to acknowledge that they were right. Mm, got it. And I, I agree 100%. I think it's part of the cultural issue with our industry is that we fold to yeah, assholes. Yeah, and we don't fold. Like, my mentality is what? Okay, something happens. They're not right. Okay? Yeah. My mentality is what do they want? What do we need to do? Yeah. I'm going to do what they want. I mean, aside from if they're saying you need to comp the whole check, mm -hmm. like in the pizza world, for instance, 
it's funny. Pizza is like the most basic food, but it's also the most specific. Everyone has their idea of what pizza should be, and everyone's Chinese idea is the same way. Totally yeah. different. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Like who would have known that pizza has more critics than <laughs> than like a fine dining place like Moxie? Yeah. Everyone is a critic yeah. at a pizza restaurant. So someone gets a pizza like it's too well done for them. For someone else, it's perfect. Yeah. Okay, you're not right that that pizza's too well done. It's too well done for you. What do you want? Yeah, we'll make it right. We'll make it right. What do you want? Do you yeah. want another one or are you so mad you don't? Just tell me what you want. Mm-hmm. Got but it. But I'm not saying, oh, you're right. It's too well done. It's just too well done for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think there should be, I mean, there's, that's a, a less extreme example, right? But I feel like there's a times where people, we give the, the, the guests what they want because we're so afraid of what the, repercussions are if we don't give them what they want not just they won't come back but they won't come back and they'll drag our name through the mud yeah i've become i've become so jaded in this mindset yeah that i don't give a fuck anymore yeah i stopped looking at yelp a week after opening moxie like i don't even it doesn't even exist to me online reviews or anything they don't exist to me at all um and to me if someone has an issue and they don't want to communicate it while they're there or in the proper venue, then I don't care. Like, so we have someone on in the J group that monitors the Yelp bullshit. It ain't me because I don't care. But yeah. they send them out. So there was some person that posted a one-star review on something, and they're like, I didn't want to take this avenue, but no one responded to my Facebook message. Did you talk to someone in person? Did you call? Facebook message is not the proper venue. And that's the issue. I think that people (laughs) just, just because you're obsessed with Facebook and Instagram and and you have your face and your phone all day, doesn't mean that I have to. Doesn't mean that I have to live that quality of life. And I think that's where we need to push back sometimes. I I think it's important that we stop conditioning the consumer to think that they can behave a certain way. I think that... The restaurant industry, people forget the origins of the restaurant industry. You go back in time, and the restaurant industry literally, people who owned restaurants were like mayors. They ran the fucking show. Like, yeah. the restaurant was social media, it was the internet. That's where you went to get all of your information, to, to gossip, to, to find out the politics, to get your mail, to, to get the newspaper. It was all at the restaurant, the, the public house, right? The pub. We forget that we are, it's a part of our, I think it's a part of our job to influence, to be influencers, to transform society, to be at the leading edge of what's happening in society and smack the fucking hand of people who get out of line and say, no, yeah. we, this is out of line. We need to, I think we need to remember our role a little bit more. Am I out of line? I, I'm the same. And again, I, I know that I've become more jaded in this manner. I get that, but I firmly believe it. Like, I, I'm here. I'm the most hospitable person that you're going to find. But when you start doing dumb shit, like, well, you do dumb shit, you're going to get dumb results. And that means you're going to get something from me. Like, I'm not going to pick a fight with you, but I'm not going to give you what you want. Mm. Just yeah. because you're putting up a stink or doing something. It's fear-based that, because you're going to say something bad about me if I, if I share my and opinion. And I don't care. Yeah. I really don't care. If you have a, an issue, speak with someone direct. Call the restaurant direct. Email the restaurant direct. Those are the three proper venues yeah. to get it. Anything outside of that 
to me, you're just looking for attention yeah. or you're looking to voice some propaganda or whatever it may be. Because if you don't choose one of those three, you're not really invested in the issue. Yeah. You're invested in people hearing what you have to say. And you're not William Grimes. <laughs> <laughs> so much for a speed round, huh? <laughs> but no, no, I pulled back the layers. I wanted to go deeper. Thank you for getting into that. Uh, what is one com- or what is a book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? French Laundry Cookbook. Yeah, you love that book. I think you mentioned it in the first episode. I, I mean, it's it's a standard bearer. It's it will it will stand the test of time. Yeah. It, it changed the world. I don't think I have that book yet. I have to get it. It's it's way overdue. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? <laughs> Boy, the only thing I can think of is is. Oh, boy, I don't know. What, what are you thinking about? Well, I just know there's a lot of people that are, and this is just me being jaded because the world has made me jaded now. <laughs> it's just, and this isn't even a good thing, but it's just the way that I'm now, is being more, being too optimistic when you need to be more realistic. I, uh, and I a balance of optimism and pragmatism that I think is necessary. Like Optimism is important pragmatism is also important and i think like most things in life there's a balance where where do we need uh, did i cut you off no okay you sure yeah okay <laughs> uh what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within the restaurants that's had a huge impact on operations mm, probably qr codes here at luigi's at the tables and is it is there a resource you're using specifically or a toast toast is so- toast is the venue but we use the the qr codes so that people can order at the tables. Yeah. How has that been? There's a lot of pushback for some people. I, I'm a fan for it, personally. That, I, I am, too. But we give the option, which I think is what bridges the gap. We don't force it on people, but it gives the option, which really is helpful in times when it's super busy. Because the other option now, we, we shifted to counter service. We were full service when we opened. Pandemic changed that. Pandemic changed everything. Said, you know what? We don't need full service in this environment. So you can order at the counter. But when it's really busy, let's say a Friday night, you got 20, 30 people, you can clear that line, make people more comfortable by saying, if you just grab a seat, you can order right at the table using the QR code on your phone. People love, oh, I can sit down. I don't have to stand up here with all these 20, 30 people. It's stressful. Like, I have to wait. You don't have to wait. You yeah. can just sit down and do the it. QR code is associated with the table number, I'm yep. assuming, too, so they yep. know exactly where to bring it. Yep. It's a very powerful tool. And this is the kind of stuff that I think is going to change long term is that we're going to get less dependent on people uh, more dependent on technology and systems and processes. it definitely works here yeah and this is part of what i'm trying to echo not every concept is it works but you're going to see fewer concepts that are chasing james beard awards in yeah. my opinion and chasing fiscal responsibility because they were starting to realize that not everybody gets a freaking james beard award and it's not what defines our success it's do I like what I'm doing? Am I profitable? Can I create opportunity for other people? All the stuff that we talked about today, you can do that You're leveraging technology, doing a few things really well instead of trying to do everything really well. I think you're going to see more pizza concepts, not literally pizza, but like you guys do pizza here. What else? Well, you know, we do a menu of yeah. chicken sandwich, like yeah. um, parm sandwiches, salads, yeah. um, things that go right hand in hand with pizza what's one of the cool things about pizza concepts is like you can do so much with what you have in house to diversify the menu you know like 
uh, chicken can go on a pizza or it can go on a salad. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Um, awesome stuff. So this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Hmm. Hard work. One. Integrity. Two. I knew you were going to say integrity. And... I would say contribution to the community. Three. This has been a great chat. I'm so happy I decided to reconnect with you to get you back on the under on the show under the new format. Um, you're a great man. You really were. And who do you respect and admire and think I should get on the show? Somebody I haven't had on the show yet. Have you had Brendan Vesey on? From I have. You have. Have I? I have, but I'll get him back on. I'm pretty sure I have. I'm losing track. But he, anyway. You know, he was, he did have it in Newmarket, but now it's just Botanica here. So you might have had him way back when it was just, uh, um, uh, and the name escapes me now, when he just had the place in, in Newmarket. Newmarket. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, I'm, I, I know Brandon, I know he was very involved with the school, the community college for a while. And, uh, we, we crossed paths there. I honestly cannot remember, remember if I, I must've gotten him on the show. I love Brandon. He's, yeah. you know, he's very like me, like just very, he's always been this way. I think I've become this way more as of late, but just very frank, very matter of fact, very realist. Um, he's not negative. He's not a pessimist, but he just looks at things for what they are. And, uh, there's beauty in his purity of just not sugarcoating. <laughs> Eddie, I Andrew, love it. I, yeah. It's just, he's so matter of fact. Brandon, if, I'm pretty sure I had you on the show, but if I haven't, then I'm absolutely going to get you on the show. Look, I'm coming after you. And uh, how can we connect with you? If we really resonated with your message today, uh, maybe we have questions for you or even better, maybe we want to come join your team. What's the best way to connect? Um, all the restaurants, Moxie, Luigi's, Franklin Street, all have social media pages, um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, so you can usually just reach out there to get me direct. Uh, I'd say my email, Matt at Moxie com. It's M O X Y is responsive. I'll attest to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's how we got in touch. Um, thank you so much, Matt. Uh, seriously. I, thank I you. I can't do what I do without people like you, uh, sharing their stories and their knowledge. So there thank is no, you. there is no questioning my man. You are unstoppable. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here today at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Matt Lewis, for coming on, sharing your story, and uh, you know, doing this again. This is the second time you're on the show, and it's something I've been wanting to do, reconnect with my past guests to basically run them through the system in this, in my opinion, new and improved way of interviewing. I've really evolved a lot over the years. And I think it's a lot of fun to reconnect with past guests. And uh, I feel like it's a, it's a whole new show. It's, it's like these, these early guests were never even on the show. And I, I, it was a lot of fun to kind of to go deeper and to get these folks who helped me start Restaurant Unstoppable, uh, 
you know, to get them back on the platform. Now that my audience is like a thousand times bigger and, um, I don't know, it was just a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing this a lot with other, uh, early guests. Evan Mallett's lined up to come back on the show. Uh, we have Mike Preet, who was one of my early guests, who's going to be coming back on the show. Uh, Brendan and, uh, Levy is going to be coming back on the show. So, uh, and I think Chris Coombs also might be coming back on the show. Um, so like I've been talking to you guys about, if you guys caught the getting personal with Eric yesterday, we are taking this thing to the next level. We are going to be trying to commit to 100% on-site interviews. That's basically means we're going to be doubling our travel and I'm, I'm going to be having a videographer on the road with me. I'm, I'm excited about this because I, I'm just really excited to see what Sam is going to produce the, the level of video quality uh, and just having company on the road. And there's so much that happens behind the scenes while I'm on the road, reconnecting with past guests. And I just think that there's going to be a lot of cool shit that comes from this. So if you guys have not yet head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That shit's going to be exploding over the next few months. And just a special thanks to uh, restaurant systems pro for being uh, somebody who just sees what I'm trying to create sees the value and I'm trying to create and wants to support what we're doing here uh, and taking a risk on this project. And uh, you know, this is just exciting times, very exciting times. I'm excited for the future. I hope you guys are excited for the future. If you are in New Orleans, hit me up because that's where we're headed first. And then we're going to be headed to the Detroit Cleveland area. And I think after that, maybe Atlanta. So hit me up if you want to be on the show. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.